Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Father, we're grateful that we can come and have the liberty to worship you and adore you. Abba Father, the glory and the honor and the praise is yours, even as we gather here in the name of Yeshua Mashiach, in his great mighty name. We come to honor you, we come to praise you, we come, O oh God, to recognize and to say that you are worthy of all praise, worthy of all our worship. We come, O oh God, recognizing that we need you and that you are our Father through Christ our Lord. We've come here, O oh God, to seek you, and Lord God, to seek your grace and your help and your blessing. Touch lives today through the power of your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, and touch lives, we pray. And right now, you know the hearts and the needs and the deeper signs of your people, whether here or those that are watching. And I pray, precious Holy Spirit, move, move, move as you moved in the face of the earth and touch lives right here. And those across the nation that are watching and bring deliverance, bring healing, but more than anything else, salvation, deliverance, and Father, that lives would be brought together to the Father. We give you glory and honor. Thanks once again for this beautiful day that giving honor to you, Father, we thank you for this beauty of knowing you. But also, Lord, we just pray for the precious fathers that are here today and that are watching, that you would impart a special grace and blessing to them. All this we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's people said, Amen and Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. Praise the Lord. It's good to see you all here this morning. Once again, welcome everyone that are here, and particularly on this auspicious day, on the Father's Day, we bring greetings and blessings to every one of the fathers. What a joy and a privilege that we can gather here and uh, worship the Lord and praise the Lord and to be able to uh, lift up our hands in worship and uh, in prayer and also in giving. But it's a great opportunity to hold the Word of God and to be able to spend this time just thinking about and thanking God for fathers. Most importantly, we recognize the Father, the perfect one, our God, our Father, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want to take a passage from Luke chapter 11 and verse 7. It's simply this word, my children are with me, I cannot rise. Let me read the whole passage. And he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not, the door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give thee. Now I want you to realize this actually comes from what would be the very verse one tells you the disciples had asked the Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. And then in verse two, he begins by telling the pattern of what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. When he says, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven. So I want you to underline the word Father in heaven. In trying to relate to the Father in heaven, 
The Lord is now giving us a picture exclusively that is only in Luke. Prayer, of course, is mentioned, the same Lord's Prayer is mentioned in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, Our Father which art in heaven, and it's a fuller version, glowing to the end, thine be the glory, the honor, and the praise. But here in this shorter version that you find in the book of Luke, beginning actually in verse 2 on, but it goes all the way to the contents of it to verse 13, but in between, he gives a parable which you don't find anywhere else. In fact, Luke gives you a couple of parables regarding the Father. One in Luke chapter 15, I will, if I have time, briefly run through that. But this particular passage in Luke chapter 11 and verse 7 is this parable and let me just give you a background. You all know that this is basically midnight hour. And my message is fathers in the midnight hours. And I got it from this passage. But just let me just say this. It is a scenario in the background where a person is at home and suddenly he has uh, people coming and visiting him and there's no food. And so this is the, the tragic situation of this man who's had company at home, and it is a terrible situation to be caught in a place, in a home, where there is no food. And it's not just any time of the day, it is midnight. Where can you go and get food? All the stores get closed very early. And remember, this is uh, in the Middle East. And remember, this is going all the way to the New Testament period. And it's pretty dark, and it's pitch dark in the midnight, and what could he do except that he could think about one person. Now I want you to realize he goes out and he knocks on his friend's house and he says, I am in desperate situation, I'm paraphrasing, and I really don't know what to do. I have some folks coming, there's no food. If I could just get three loaves of bread, and of course that also goes with all that utensils and the things that go with the bread, I'll be grateful to you. Now I want you to realize that this is how the story goes, where the Lord Jesus Christ is relating to the Father. And then the response from the man in the house is what I want to relate to. But first let me tell you, this is all to do with the disciples asking the Lord in verse 1 of chapter 11, Lord, teach us to pray. Interesting, isn't it, that in all these years, that they had been with the Lord Jesus Christ, they could have asked a lot of things that they did not ask. Teach us how to pastor. Teach us how to preach. Teach us how to lead. Teach us how to evangelize. Teach us how to counsel. Teach us how to cast out demons. Teach us this or teach us that. But they're asking, teach us how to pray because they've got to the nitty-gritty of all the others which are important whether it be teaching or whether it be counseling or whether it be leading or whether it be casting out demons or whether it be in terms of evangelizing all of them in a nutshell they knew because they saw the Lord Jesus Christ do one thing that he had taken time off from them and he would ever be whether it is in the early hours of the morning or late night, he would go out and spend that intimate moment 
with Abba, Father in heaven. And they realize the source of his strength comes from his father. And this intimacy is so important. And he, they realize this is not simply like a temple or a churchy prayer. This was something unique. This was the source of his strength. And so they have basically come to the pivot point. Not teach us how to preach, not teach us how to lead, not how to counsel, not how to sing or lead a choir or cast out demons. They come to the fulcrum and saying, all of this we realize is with that intimacy with your father. You're 30 plus years old. You are our rabbi, you're our teacher, you're our Lord, you're our savior, you're our king. But this intimate moment you have with the Father in heaven is unique. We want you to teach us how to pray. Now that response, evoke a response from the Lord, and he's giving you a shorter form of what would be from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 onwards, and he says, this is how you pray. Our Father which art in heaven, the Lord be thy name, thy kingdom come. Our Father, that is the source. The first part of prayer is addressed to the Father. And this is the pattern that you pray. And there's of course a statement, give us this day our daily bread. Now what he's doing is sandwiching into this, interposing into the answer to the prayer that they had asked for how to pray He's giving us a parable, and that is what I want to talk about. This parable has to do with something that he talks about. I gave you a background. The scenario in the middle of the night, a man desperate, a man that needs food, a man realizes only one man is able, can do it, and has the means to do it. It didn't matter whether it was 10, 1, 3. It is in the middle of the night, but he goes to the source. He goes to this person. Now I want to come to this passage of this man in verse 7. So you see about a man outside, a man who is desperate situation, because someone else came from outside his house, looking for food, going to be his guest. Now he is coming to this person's house, and I address him as a father with children. But what he says is, my children are with me in bed. I cannot write and give you. He does that, but he's prioritizing his what his agenda is, a priority here. But let me just say this. I know in many a times in messages, we allude to this very much, and we give credence or importance, and we talk about this parable in relationship to prayer, and we talk about this as the importance of the man that comes because of a situation he faced, and he's intercessing because there's a need in his, in his community, a man has come from his community to his home, there's no food, and so he is now interceding to the person who has. And that is, of course, prayer. That is, of course, intercess intercession. That is, of course, reaching out and standing in the gap and saying, I have 
need, not really me, someone else, but I am interceding for him so he would get the food. And that has been an important part, but that's not the importance of this uh, parable. The second part is you find in verse 8 the insistent or impotence or what would be the, I'm sorry, importunity or what would be the, uh, the pressing, persistence of this man paid off, it would look like. So we're talking about persistence being a very important, uh, important part. So be persistent in your prayer. That's important. But that is not the centrality of this parable either. It is. In Luke chapter 18, because the Lord Jesus Christ talks about a widow, goes to an unjust judge, and is basically seeking for readdress, and he doesn't. But she does this incessantly, that so persistently that he says, you know what, I had it. I'm fed up. She will wear me out. I got to do something for her. And then the Lord is saying, if this unjust judge could do that for her, how much more your father? So he's not comparing God the Father with this unjust judge. Not comparing, but comparison uh, compared to contrast. So it is a contrast between a good, gracious Father and an unjust judge. He's the just judge, God. But when you come to this verse 11, it is not persistence. This is not something that, oh, I got to press to get things, the right button to get things done. That is part of the story, but not the important part of the story. So then what is the importance of the story? You know, when we come to Luke chapter 18, that is important. Persistent place. Pray and do that. Of course this is important because he goes on to say, seek, ask, seek, and knock, and that is important. But the reason I say the importance of this is not so much the man standing in intercession, that is important. Not so much what would be uh, standing there and knocking on his behalf and asking for three bread or food. Not even the persistency, all of that is important, but let me go back to verse 7, and this is the importance that the Lord is telling you, and this is where the limelight is, that he sh this man in the house will answer and says, trouble me not, for now my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give you. But later on he says, he does because of his persistence. But here in this passage, what has this got to do with a man, with, a with children? Giving all respect to mothers, you all have done a great job, and this is amazing. You all have actually stood many a times in the gap, being the advocate, the judge, the doctor, and being the tutor and nurse and all that wrapped together, being a mother, and then again, in many often times, being the father. And that has been a role that has, as a father, been trust to you because of the lack of the man in the house. But that is not the natural order of thing. You had to, otherwise there would be chaos in the house, and kudos to you. And so, there have been so many mothers, and particularly single mothers, that have played an important part, or else the family would have ceased to exist, would have fallen over. But that being said, I want you to understand, sometimes some people hope that the pastor would come in and, and knock the head out of some fathers on a Father's Day. On the contrary, what I want to do is commend fathers, and particularly many, may you, may, maybe you may not know, just like there are single mothers, 
faithful, standing and keeping the home. There are faithful fathers too. There are single fathers that have done everything to stand for their children, by their children, and all the home. Either because the wife died, or because the wife found someone better, or because she found someone that she could have a better access where sex is involved, or something else, left the man high and dry and walked away, and with the man holding the children. And while it's usually the man playing the fox, we live in the 21st century, woman outfoxes man too. And the situation with the man who has always paid the fox, in many cases, have stood and been faithful. And I want you to understand there are many people I know of a father that would come at the 8 o'clock service with the children. For a spell have been in that situation. And I want you to understand the importance of how the Bible uses this in the Lord Jesus Christ, going back to verse 8, the father, the children, no mention of the wife, no mention of the mother. Maybe something happened. We can't read between the line except to say, the Lord said, here is what the story is. The man gets up and says, the door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give you. Six topic I want to give you as I close. The number one is father with your children. Number two, treasures of this man. Number three I want to talk about is darkness called midnight hour. Number four, I want to talk about why the effect of darkness. Number six, I want to talk about that all that relates to everything that the Lord Jesus Christ is giving you a parable is not without a purpose. He's giving you this parable so you could note the end. It is to do with number one, God the Father. And so he relates to when you pray, say, our Father. So that's where the story is leading to. That's where he's bringing this father with the children and then bringing into what would be the focus of Father God and his children. Now we get this. Okay. And the priority. So much here. Let me just talk about the father and his children. So here's a man who's saying in verse 7, the door is shut. The children are with me. I cannot rise. Well, we can get from this picture. It's a very Middle Eastern. So for those who may wonder, oh my God, what's going on here? Middle Eastern or wherever you go in many parts of the world, in Asia and Africa, in the olden days, in many cases today too, there people live in a one-room apartment or a house. Or maybe everyone sleeps in a mat. Whether this man is well-to-do, whether he's poor, that's immaterial. But the fact of the matter is it's simply saying, whether you want to talk about, it's simply paraphrasing to say, the children are in my home. Whether it's a one-room or whether it's a many-mansioned house, what he's simply saying, and I want you to understand, the door is shut. I've got rules down here. And I am an authority here. My children are safe here. And I know it's curfew time, I know it's 12 noon, they're not in some bar, they're not in some dance club, they're not freaking out, the boys with the girls, and, uh, and boys with boys and girls with girls, I know exactly they are with me. 
and they are at rest, they're at peace. They're getting their night's sleep. Here's a man who you got to admire. A man who has everything under control. A man who is doing what God has put into his heart. The chain of command which the Father God in the universe of the entire galaxy and yet he's put an order into the home. A man subject unto him, submitted unto him, and then a man who is able to lay down God-given rules for the safety of the family and particularly for the safety of the children. So in this I find F-A-T-H-E-R, father who has a foresight, father F who is faithful. Faithful to God, faithful to his children. A, who's attentive, astute, and who's available for his children. T, who is a teacher, who's an example. H, whose heart is right, God and his laws are important than any other laws that come against the values of the kingdom or the laws of God. No neighbor, no state, no pope, no president, nor any pastors, bishops, or apostles can overexceed the authority of God's word. And his heart is for his children. Jesus our Lord is talking about prayer, but he's giving you an example of a father. There's something else, F-A-T-H-E. There's a sense of endurance and there's a sense of endowment. I'll talk about that later. And R, reliable. He's not an 18 karat gold, he is a 32 karat gold. He's genuine. And so you find in this F-A-T-H-E-R, a man who says, my children are with me. I don't know what's going on in the world. They are protected. P, protection. They're safe in my house. They're not going to be bamboozled by some rapist, some perverts. Not only that would enter into our streets and communities, but who will come through information highway and mess up my kids through mass media and through the internet. They're all clear. They're safe. They're at peaceful. They are resting. They're not restless, looking to find some fun. God gives pleasures, and there's the right pleasures. So here's a man who's saying, my children are safe in my house. They're resting. They are protected. They're provided for. I teach them that unless necessary, if I'm jobless, fine welfare. But I'm not on welfare. I can work. Not only do I tell them that I'm a protector, but I'm also a provider. They can learn from me. I don't need anyone else's little money. I am one that helps others, but first my family. So I'm a provider because like God, 
I like to do things. I'm not lazy, waiting for checks to arrive from someone else. So here is a man who is not only a protector and a provider, but while the children are sleeping, he's awake. It's like our Lord. The Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps. But here is his father, while the children are asleep, he is a priest praying. P provider, P protector, P priestly prayer. And all this put together, he's also one that is put his priority, P, in the right place. My children are important under God. First God and then my family. So this is important to me. So he's got everything as long as they're under his roof. One day they would basically find their own wings. They'll go out, but till then he's responsible. And you find in him a man who has his priority right. So not simply one who is protecting, providing, one who is a priestly in prayer like Job, but also one who has a priority right, and ultimately, number six, he's also got what would be his most important priced treasures, and that is important. It is something that is uh, supremely princely, and that is preciously love. And I'll talk about that for his children. There's a knock at 12. There could be a knock at 3 o'clock. And always in the nighttime, you'd never know what takes place. It's frightening. You don't see much at night. But in the meantime, his first thoughts are, hold it just a second. Don't wake up my children. I don't know what this news is about. But I don't want them to be restless. The door is shut. The lights are out. My children are asleep. He will give food. He will provide. But he wants to make sure the whole family is not in a topsy-turvy. He will deal with that situation without getting his family involved in the war that is outside. In the one that is outside. They have their own problems. They have their own schoolwork. They have their own college work. They need to be focused. And they need to go higher than where I am today. Like arrows in the hand of a man's children, I want them to hit the bullseye. I'm protective. And so these are priced, and I love them. What I find is, he says, my children are with me. The door is shut. I have rules. I don't care what others will say. I'm fine with the confines of God's word and direction in my life. So when you check it out, the number two is what I call treasure. What I mean treasure is they are prized possession. In the end, it's not when everything else is said and done. When you go before God, 
whether it be in the judgment seat of Christ for the rewards or whether it be if you do not know the Lord, the white throne judgment. God is not going to ask you, by the way, you had 10 yacht. What did you do with the number third one? Oh, that swanky, massive mansion. What did you do with the 14th one? Oh, with all the money in the bank, he doesn't care a hoot about that. He would ask you, I gave you children. That is the reward of the womb. What did you do with the children? You beget fine. I have children. And I sent my son to die for my children. Their blood brought their precious. Where are they? What are they doing? I don't know. Time does not belong to you, but you are the one that is a caretaker of that time. God will ask, what did you do? What did you do with Christ? What did you do with the children that God has given you? Everything else is immaterial. So this is a treasure. In fact, it's a heirloom. It's basically a heritage. Psalm 127, verse 3. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord that simply is priceless. You find in God, He prizes His creation. He prizes His people. He's the God of all flesh. The father of all those who accepted Jesus Christ. And he has intimate relationship. But in John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved. Christ loved. That is action. Not simply words. Giving himself. Giving his own son. To die. That's sacrificial amazing love. And then you find. What is important is he proclaims in Jeremiah chapter 33, uh, 31 and 3, I've loved you with an everlasting love, with cords of loving kindness I have drawn you unto myself. So there you get a picture of the treasure that is in God's heart. So the disciples are saying in verse 1, Lord, teach us how to pray. Verse 2, he begins to tell them the model prayer called the disciples' prayer, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven. And then, zoom, he goes into verse 7, giving you from verse 5 all the way to verse 8 the story, a parable that is so important. Parable of a man that is coming out to another friend's house, and that man is desperate, he doesn't have food. And then he goes down to the third person who has the food, and the response of that third person called the father with his children. In verse 8, he gives the food, but verse 7 is sort of a puzzle. Why? Because he's got his priority right. You can go out and save the whole world and you could lose your own. You can take care of everybody else, but you've lost your own. Here's a man who says, hold it. Make sure that I take care and then I reach out to you. I will. But I don't want to bring turbulence into my home. And so he basically wakes up, 
puts the light slowly, looks at the kids sleeping, goes down to the kitchen, makes sure the food is prepared, does whatever he can do at 12 midnight. Now he goes down, opens the door, opens the gate, and the people are in, and he has, here's the food. And then he tiptoes back to the home, and without all that fun and noise, goes back to make sure the kids are there, and what he was doing, whether praying, he continues and goes to rest. He's prepared for whatever needs to be done for the next morning for the children. That being said, I want to just say, in verse 5, I'll tell you the desperate situation. When you turn to verse 5, which of you shall have a friend? Suppose you are in a situation. The Lord is talking about prayer. He's talking to you that when you pray, say, our Father. Father! So then there is a spiritual Father in heaven. And just like in heaven, a sense of protocol, God places imperfect men and women and leaders, pastors, civil servants, imperfect though they may be in what would be chain of command. Only God is perfect. So while giving you about the heavenly father, he's giving you a picture of an earthly father who is protective like God, who is providing like God the Father, who has priority like God the Father, and who has a sense of prized possession like God the Father, and now is able to meet the need like God the Father. He doesn't give us more than we can handle. He doesn't put the whole world and the trouble of the world into our hearts. To the level we can, he gives us that burden. He knows we are dust and ashes. And until we mature, he gives us sufficient for the day. He's a father who takes care of the sparrows, the lilies of the field, and everything else. But all this the Lord Jesus Christ is saying in Matthew chapter 6 while he's talking about prayer that your father is concerned about all this just know the father takes care of you. So he's making a comparison of a father that's supreme that is so great and so wonderful. And I want you to realize an importance in this the treasure. But now he's talking about darkness. Suppose can you imagine that a man comes to your home who's in desperate need? What would you do? Would you go to a house? Would you knock at the midnight hour? Do you think you have someone that you can knock? That you can disturb? Yes, you can when it comes to God. Ask, seek, knock. Here's an earthly man who has earthly priority, he does give, but he's giving you first his own priority. But there is one that neither slumbers nor sleep, he watches over you while you sleep. He gives his beloved sweet rest. He's gracious, he's kind, he's merciful. I want to say this here, 
for many in the church, particularly in the Western world. Their attachment to the mother is so great because of their detachment to the father. Their love for the mother is so great because maybe of the dissolution of the father or total uh, leaving and re leaving a home, cop out of a father. As a result, mother is everything. But in the world in which we live, it's so different from the world of the Middle East in the time of the Lord, when he gave the example. But here in a dark, what would be noonday, verse 5 says, suppose you were like this man, and a man, a friend comes to you at midnight. You are troubled, but you have to go and trouble someone else that you know has the means, has the heart, and who will wake up. So suppose you were that person and you were in a desperate situation, almost you are doing an intercessory work, standing in the gap for someone else, knocking in the pitch dark like crazy, open the door! And a voice comes out, the door is shut. My children are with me. Are you inside the house as a child? Or are you outside the house? Are you inside the ark with Noah? Or you are knocking out when the rainwaters come. You laughed at it until the rainwaters become a storm. And until it becomes more than a swimming pool. And then you knock. Help! For 120 years, Noah preached. They paid no mind. They laughed at him. Now, in that heat of the moment, when they'd realized, oh, my God, this man was right after all. We made fun of him. He talked about an impending flood. Knock, knock, knock. The door is shut. But for the grace of God. So we come to this midnight hour. Midnight hour is really two words in Hebrew. It's like what we say, middle or the middle of everything. And night, pitch dark, middle of the night. That is what it is. So you have two words in Hebrew, and that is basically saying the middle and the night. And it's a very important subject. And I talked about something very important in the darkness. And I talked from Isaiah chapter 45. I'll continue it, God willing, next Sunday as well. Talking about treasures in the night. In the midst of your nights, in the midst of your midnights, you still have treasures. It doesn't matter what goes on in the world. It doesn't matter when the twilight turns into midnight. You must know what is your possession. What is it that is priority in your life? Everything else will fall apart. And so you find in this midnight hour that there's a knock in this man's door. There's a desperate cry. And the midnight tells us something very important. In Isaiah chapter 21 and verse 11. Watchmen, watchmen, towards the end, what of the night? 
repeats again, watchmen, watchmen, water the night. Do you watch what is happening at night? A lot of things have happened in the night. We went sleeping knowing what a family is, knowing what a marriage is, knowing what truth is, knowing what the gospel is, knowing what the truth of the scriptures is. We woke up, we don't know anything. We're not just talking about people who have totally, completely changed everything. But even in the church, people are prophesying certain things out of the Bible. They're talking more about money for themselves and using every means, even though gift of God is free, to make and to be able, like the people of the New in, in the early days, merchandise of religion. We're living in a day when everything is totally neither here or there. The right is wrong, the wrong is right, and we're saying, oh my God, it's the midnight hour. Watchmen, watchmen, what of the night? It is in the nights like this that even the faithful can be betrayed, can go wrong if they do not know the word. It's a night like this. There's a danger, and you can read about it. There is songs in the night. There's prison break at night. There's also freedom and emancipation at night, like the Passover, or like even Jesus Christ sitting down with his disciples. There's so much about midnight, sadness of midnight of slavery, and midnight one day of total emancipation. It's a beautiful story. In the Bible of midnight, we don't have time to cover it all. But I would tell you what's so important about midnight in this hour like this, we're living in the last days. Dangerous things are happening. While I can tell you about the secular things that's happening, I'm more worried about what's happening in the church. People are changing their doctrine, just like they have changed their garments. And you have so-called prophets interpreting the scriptures, not by the word, but by the imaginations of their mind, taking a word here and taking a word there. The devil can quote the scriptures here and there, but not in its fluidity the way it should be. Know ye, the apostle Paul is saying, in 2 John chapter 3, verse 1, that perilous times will come. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, perilous times shall come. In the last days, and these are last days, he gives you signs of many things. He talks about it in First Timothy as well, but here he tells you in verse 2, in this contest, men shall be lovers of themselves, all about me and mine, it's about my building, my plane, it's all this, it'll be covetousness. Pastor, do you think you should be hammering out on the homosexuals and lesbians? Jesus never touched on that subject. I'll tell you what Jesus touched on, covetousness. A lot of leaders in the churches and the higher tops would be hurt. They talk so much about homosexuality and this and that. Jesus talked more about covetousness and pride than anything else. That subject is hard. 
Last day's covetousness bolsters. Oh, I did, did great things. I have a big house. I've got this and I've got big planes. Who cares? Jesus talked about you in the last days. What he says is proud blasphemers, disobedient, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Holiness is spoken against. Today, every unholy things are acceptable and even in churches. I don't care which party says what, right is right and wrong is wrong. And I don't need anybody's authority to say so. I have the authority of God's word to say so. I want you to know, my friend, the important things in the last days. There are many things, but this is Father's Day and like Mother's Day. Look what Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 11 says. A generation will come that will curse their father and will not bless their mother. You think it's in the world? No, it's in the church. People who will curse their father and then come to church and say, Oh, hallelujah, glory to God. <laughs> and not bless their mother. I want you to realize, my friend, we live in these last of the last days. But what I want you to realize is that darkened days is something so tragic. That the way the Old Testament closes is to do with the first coming and is to do with the second coming of the Lord. Yes, that's how the Old Testament closes, with a curse. And with a prophet that comes in the New Testament fulfilled by John the Baptist and then a latter-day prophet before the second coming of Jesus. So Malachi talks about this and he's very plain. One that will come to turn the hearts of the children to their parents, fathers, and the hearts of the fathers to their children, lest I curse this earth. But let's go to verse 5 and read from verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great, that was the first coming, and then dreadful day of the Lord, because the second coming is dreadful. Then he goes on to say in verse 6, and he shall turn, this is his role, not to divide the family, but he shall turn the heart of the fathers to their children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Um, why not the mother to their daughters, the mother to their sons, and the sons and daughters to their mother? But why the father? Because simply because in the last days, this is going to be the outcome. Abdicating fathers, parents, children who are disobedient. And one of the things you're going to find is the man, and particularly genuine fathers, are being ridiculed at. He's like an idiot. He's classified as, a, what do you call it? A nuisance. We can do without the father. Uh, we could bring somebody else home and call him Papa Mama. What do you want? But here it says, one that will turn the hearts of the children to their parents, father, and the father to the children. 
I would believe the reason is mainly a couple of things. Remember from the Middle East and, uh, we, and from the biblical times, we need to realize the strength of a home or what was supposed to be comes from the strength of a man. And understand, he becomes what would be putting the house in order. And so there's a sense in which a man, a father who comes under subordination of the Father in heaven, and who has a relationship with the Father in heaven, and who is obedient to the laws of the Father in heaven, understands that he is put here in the place of, on an earthly level, though imperfect, to bring a sense of divine authority in the home, a direction for the home. Without that authority and direction, things could fall apart. I'm going to say this, and I would be criticized for this and crucified for this. The West is losing out. We don't need to be afraid for Putin and Russia. We don't have to be afraid of him. We don't have to be afraid of China or any of the places outside. We are being broken from within. We don't know what authority is. When there is no father figure, and I'm going to tell you there's a father, no one can dethrone him from the throne. He sits on the throne. His authority is here. He's supreme and he's sovereign. You cannot. Devil tried to do it. Lucifer tried to do it. He was cast out. But I want you to understand, ever since that day, the devil will do anything to displace authority. If you don't have the father-like, heavenly father-like figure on earth as a father, there will always be the demons that will take over. There will always be a turkey that will come to your daughter and say how beautiful you are for a night. Just to get what he wants. There's always a poet out to make sure he gets that and says all beautiful things. You see the mass media, the caricature that you see. And yet I want you to understand, here's a father figure. And the absence of that genuine father figure will bring about a curse. Thank God for mothers that are standing in the gap even though they cannot handle it all. Thank God for grandmas. They kept the home. A day will come when we will no more have what would be normal family, normal children. A day will come when people from outside who know no truth but who practice the truth will take over this nation. They are strong. They are able because they have, no matter what you say, strong family men running the home. So when you think about it, I want you to realize it's not against women. Thank God for women that are standing there, even though it's not, they're meant to be. So if men refuse to go to war to protect the nation, the woman will say, I will go, though she's not meant to be. To protect the children. That was not meant to be, but that's basically the second line of defense in the home today. But God is saying, before I come, there'll be John the Baptist calling out. 
and in the latter days will be one like him before the great dreadful day of the coming of the Lord to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. So the, the fourth question is darkness, why? Father, children, treasure, darkness, why? Why not mamas and children? They're doing a great job, don't get me wrong. But what I mean is, in the order of things, the way it was meant to be, the father was placed to be there and to be the one that would guide the family. The father has the strength. And I want you to realize the word Abba, father, in the Hebrew is comprised of Alep and Beth. And the description of Abba, father, there's a strength in him. And yet, there's the other side of him, which in the word Hebrew love is Alep. And then the word hey, and then the word Beth. Three words that make one word called love. And so you have a father's love. A father's love is so important that it is for which a daughter, a son would do anything. Without that, a boy will join a gang. I'm not saying all. And a woman will go out with, a girl will go out with just any crazy people. For the absence of a direction of a father who would take the place to be the chain of command in bringing godliness, suddenly strange things happen to boys and girls that yesterdays they told you scientifically, physiologically, medicinally, in every way it was wrong. Today everybody says, oh, this is the best thing to do. Excuse me? Yeah, that is right. From what source? Children are being destroyed. And then there are no children born. You have to wait for import from outside to come in. The situation today we face that in the scriptural sense, men are not being men. They're being sissies. You ask a man to stand, he says, where? He doesn't know how to stand. He doesn't know what to display. He doesn't know how to provide. He doesn't know how to protect. He doesn't know how to stand up for their family, to stand up for their children, to stand up for what is right. He is driven by politics. Depending on which party you are, you are strong and yet not standing up for God and for his kingdom. So you have strength like an ox. That is what? The masculine strength is. And yet you have the part of it is love. You can't have that strength without love. And you can't have that love without the strength. You can't have truth without love. You can't have love without the truth. They come together. So a man is simply not direction and authority alone. There must be a sense of love. But authority is important. When God looked down, there is something he said, which makes you wonder. He said, I know 
This man will put authority, degree, and direction in his home. That's why I will speak to him. That's how I will reveal my secrets. Who is he talking about? A man he called his friend. Three times in the Bible. So when you turn to Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19, this is what he said of Abraham. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. Strong enough when his nephew was taken captives, even though his nephew made a mistake, he went with 300 trained men to rescue Lot. In rescuing Lot, he rescued the whole sorry bunch of others as well. There is a sense of which a man should be able to speak the truth and set direction for his home. In his absence, the mom is doing the best. Kudos to you, mom. Kudos to you, grandmas. You were not meant for that, but in the absence of a man, of a male figure, you had to do what you had to do. Thanks to you. Not taking away the glory. But I want you to understand that was the man to set the direction with the cooperation of his wife. And what you understand is, they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. The Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him. And then God shares with Abraham. But like I said, the strength that is, the Alep, the Beth, is joined in between by a word, hey, in the center, makes it love. And that is so important. In other words, I want you to understand that love makes a big difference because God is love. When you turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, it simply says, for God, everyone, love one another, for love is of God. Verse 8 again says, he that loveth not, knoweth not, because God is love. That's the Father. He's a love, and love comes from Him. So even that loving God sets direction. You may not like it, but he loves it. And the directions are not meant to hurt you. The directions are meant to help you because of his love. Not with hatred. When you have that authority or that direction without love, it's a mess. And when you have all lovey-lovey and no direction, it's a mess. But with the two together, truth with love, love with truth makes a big difference. I want you to realize a very important thing, and that is what is so important in this hour, and that is why Jesus is introducing right there as he began, before even the parable, in Luke chapter 11, verse 2, this is how you pray. You want to ask me, teach you to pray? I'll teach you to pray. Everything is to do with the Father. I know because of lack of a father, maybe because your father in the earth was a horrible father, don't take it out on God. In the West, become, many have become matriarchal, almost like my mother in heaven, father in heaven. No one can take his place. 
Your bad experience with a bad father doesn't reflect on God, the Father who's loving. I cannot tell you the greatest experience. Recognizing and receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord was for the first time I heard about God. I heard so much about God. I knew that He was righteous, He was unchanging, that He was merciful, but I didn't know Him. I knew all of his attributes. I could get up and tell you the creeds, but I didn't know him. I was afraid of him. I feared him. He was like a judge. One day I have to go before the judge. I never had a relationship. The day I met Jesus, made him my Lord, my Savior, and know he is the coming king of the kingdom, he introduced me to Yahweh. And I called him Abba, Father. It's a lovely relationship I have never had. And these many years, I've grown to love him. He's the Father. And I realize that no one can take his place. Yes, he is without doubt God immortal. God invisible. God who is omnipotent. God who is totally, completely omniscient, and he's all and everything else, but above and beyond, you and I can have a relationship with him, intimacy. So Jesus is saying, when you pray, when? It's not the place, it's not the time, it's the person, our Father, not simply God Almighty. He is our Father in heaven. So no matter what your reflection, i like you to know we are still paternal. Father. Your experience should not make the Father in heaven a sissy, a cop-out, that you're afraid. He's going to be like your Father. Your Father is no comparison. Even the best fathers is no comparison with God the Father. So now, there's a sense of affirmation. He's a father, and he's a father indeed. And so our prayer is to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But what is so important is the affirmation of a father. I told you how important it is to be affirmed. And the father has to set the direction, but the father will set the direction with love, and he will say so. I do not know how to explain this, but the word is so meaningful in Luke chapter 3 and verse 22. And this is what I called the ultimate, which is called heritage. The Holy Spirit descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice from heaven, the Father's voice, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You know what affirming is? He had gone through, Jesus went through agonizing time with the devil. Tempted. Everything thrown at him. He comes out, the Holy Spirit comes. And the voice of the Father, you are my beloved. I'm well pleased with you. You don't need anybody else to say anything. Just 
that alone is important. Do you know what a boy and a girl will do if he just hears that from the father? Do you know how it means so much to him? Son, daughter, you just great. You are my beloved. I'm well pleased with you. I corrected you. I even punished you. But I want you to know it's for your good. I love you with an everlasting love. With courts of loving kindness, I have drawn you unto myself. It's because I love you. I'm a father. And if they don't hear, Christians or anybody else will hear someone else wanting to be a father. No pastor, no bishop, no state, I mean no state, can take the place of the father. Only God and God alone. When you hear the voice of God, nothing else matters. He's a father. Heritage is so important. You are my beloved. Heritage is so important. It's a treasure that is worth fighting for. It's a treasure worth standing up for. And here the father says, you are my beloved. I am well pleased with you. Heritage, that's the final word. Harlem, that's the final word. Treasure in darkness. And what you hear is this man saying, my children are with me. I'll give you food, but I'm protecting my children. They're my children. I will provide for you, but let me make sure things are safe on my hand. Your father loves you. We're not in heaven yet, but we pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You are my beloved. I'm well pleased with you. A girl understood just how important her father and mother was when she grew up. The thought came in such an irukam moment. As a young girl, she was playing around. And the father and mother has a vase that was, from the father's side, very, very expensive. But more than expense, it was very precious. It came down from father to father to father to father, and now her father has it. And it's prized possession. And everyone was told, handle that with care. It came down from heritage. It comes from family. It's a family treasure. It's a family trove. And so it happened while this kid was playing, forgot she fell on that little thing that was carrying it, the whole vase fell and broke. The father and mother came running and she was so afraid. She knew how precious it was. She knew how priceless it was. And she cried. And the father and mother said, held her and said, are you all right, my child? Are you hurt, my child? They didn't look at the vase. They looked at this child and said, child, have you been hurt? They ran to get the plaster. They ran to get the aid. They tried to see if there's any hurt. And now she's a mother. And she says, I understood that actually the heritage was not that vast. 
from generation. That heritage is passed on, and I am that heritage, and I will pass on the heritage to my children. In the end, it's not what you possess, it's who you have called a son or a daughter. Psalm 127 and verse 3. Lord, children are an heritage of the Lord. Not your ways, not your house, not your heirlooms. Children are a heritage and the fruit of the womb. The fruit of the womb, not the labor of your hands. You see, look what I have done. It's what God has provided is his reward. Pass that on to the next generation before it gets totally dark. Leave the next generation with the light. And the father says, my children are with me. Are you with the father? The father is with you. I will provide, but I've shut the door. I'm protecting my children. I provided for my children. I'm praying for my children. They are priceless. I love them. And so you find this so meaningful. Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, as I close and as the band comes, he says in 2 Thessalonica chapter 2 and verse 13, look how he defines the church. But we are bound to give thanks always to you, brethren, beloved of God, beloved of God, beloved of the Father, because God had from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. You are precious, Father. And even though things may have been late, even though children are away, literally in school, colleges, and away from the house, you can still be praying for them. You can still be blessing them. You can still be the father saying, you know, I could have messed up, but you know what? Till the end of my life, I want you to know that you are my heritage. Amen. You, my children, are important to me. I'm available to you. I'm here with a foresight for you. F-A-T, I'm here to teach you still. I'm here with a heart for you and heart for God. I'm here because I am enduring for you. And I want to be reliable to you. I'm not talking about earthly father. I'm talking about our heavenly father. Can we stand? Father standing here with so many others are precious fathers. Like precious mothers that have stood in the gap and that made, made it count. There are fathers here today that making it count. There are fathers struggling, God, because the aim of the enemy is to dethrone the man of the house. And many have succumbed, many have absconded, many have failed. And yet you are a great God, and even the best of your children, O oh God, from David all the way, have failed you in that regard but you still call them beloved of God because they still did what they could to the end of their aid to prepare 
things for God. Even though David had failed, yet he taught David, the beloved, how to do the will of God and told him how to build the house of God. It's never too late. And I pray for these precious ones and I pray God impart healing, spirit, soul, body and strengthen and give vision. Strength as well as love. Love with strength. And for the precious mothers who have stood in the gap and for children here today, impart that direction that we would be, O oh God, together, a family of God under the Father in heaven, and knowing even if we don't have an earthly father, that there would be people that have a spiritual value into our lives and speak to our lives. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.